Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus and the Atlantic Publishers Marketing Association. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Today, Chris Benjamin of Atlantic Books Today. When did you first realize there were more books being published by Atlantic Canadian authors than you could keep up with? Whether your interests ran to fiction or history or guides to gardening and outdoor living, the prodigious output of this region's writers is a source of pride. But it's also intimidating. Luckily, Atlantic Books Today, in magazine format or online, does an impressive job of keeping readers abreast of new releases from writers both established and new to the region's literary scene. But contributors to ABT also delve into things which you, as readers, may have wondered about. What do books do for us that TV or the Internet don't? How are independent bookstores in the region faring against online sellers? Atlantic Books Today is supported by the Atlantic Publishers Marketing Association. Chris Benjamin is the managing editor. He's on the line to tell us about the latest issue of ABT and later about something called the Accessible Ebook Initiative. Chris, welcome to Book Me. Thank you. Great to be here. How many publishers are there in the four Atlantic provinces? Well, we have currently 38 members, but there are always a few stragglers out there that we haven't lured in yet. Um, <laughs> into the association. Uh, yes, into the, into the Publishers Association. And there's always also new ones starting up, but it's, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 40-ish, I would say. Quite something for this region. Yeah, I mean, I've always said about our region in general, we punch above our weight. Certainly that is very true in literature. How long ago did the Atlantic Publishers Marketing Association decide what its members and, and readers really needed was a magazine? Well, the magazine actually existed before the association took it over. It was started by Elizabeth Eve, who is a, a major figure in publishing locally, right? as well as uh, the board of a former organization called the Atlantic Provinces Book Review Society, and they started the magazine in 1992. So it had already existed for some time in 2002 when the Atlantic Publishers Marketing Association took it over. It was just serving as a, a real lightning rod of discussion around local books. And so um, it kind of really made sense as a content marketing tool, I guess I would say. So a place for independent commentary, but one that also really served the publishers because obviously they want people talking about their books. Many of the traditional means of marketing new books, the launches, in-store signings, are out of the question as we speak in May of 2021. How has that changed Atlantic Books today's role? Well, we've shifted our focus more online. That was something we had planned to do anyway. It just sort of accelerated the plan, we could say creating curated collections, so book lists that highlight the new books by theme or just interesting things you can think about in association with the books. But the magazine itself still plays an important role in initiating those conversations about books in the region, getting people thinking more about the books, where their value lies beyond just objects or things you buy like other things you might buy, but as pieces of art with something really interesting to say. 
and often practical information as well. In some cases, like guides, hiking guides, guides to home crafts, gardening books. These kinds of books really took off, by the way, during the pandemic. Right. So as well as just great stories that define who we are and how we see ourselves and how we think about ourselves. And if anything, we've really seen the desire for local story stories increase during this time. It's just that the way people find out about them and the way they buy them has shifted more online. So remote discovery, what we call book discovery, has become more important. So we've done more and more stuff online. And we just created our first online-only publication, not the magazine, but a different publication focused on all the awards that are starting to come out around this time of year. And what's its name? It's called Awards East Review. Some past editions of Atlantic Books Today have had a theme. So let's look at issue number 93. What are some of the connections you decided to make as the editor? The way I usually start a new issue is just to look through the catalogs and see what's jumping out at me. What do these books have in common? Is there a theme that connects them or connects the conversation we have about them? And this time around, I just happened to notice there was a lot of really interesting international content in one way or another. And so we framed that uh, a bit around a really interesting new book from George Eliot Clark called The Quest for a National Nationalism, which looks at how national epics or poems attempt to define a nation of people like Canada, one that is made up of diverse peoples and histories, and it's not so easy, especially if it's the usual suspects writing the text. So in other words, in the past, it's it's been white men, basically. And so they're telling a very particular version of our history that is not inclusive. And so he's arguing for a more inclusive attempt and looking at what that might look like. And I just felt, oh, that's a really interesting framework to talk about this. And there's a lot of books in this season that seem to be either set elsewhere or they're about people who came here or were forced to come here, either as slaves or people who were here first, uh, such as indigenous peoples. And then there's some interesting look at the idea of translation of our own stories for a more global audience, um, such as the biography of the translator of Anna Green Gables. Um, We have a story about that book, which is a really fascinating new book. So all of these things, what really seems to connect them is that it's looking at our place in the world and how our literature defines that and in turn influences it for other people and creates kind of a global market for our books. And your essay really underlines the fact that uh, because you're a regional writer rooted here in the Atlantic provinces, it doesn't mean you're provincial. Exactly. And the flip side of that is sometimes provincial, quote-unquote, stories end up being the most fascinating. Um, Look at Anna Green Gables itself, which is very much a PEI story. But as George Eliot Clark says in his book, it's not its fault, it's not Anna Red Deer or whatever. You know, it's, it has a universal appeal because it's more a story about a spunky kid who just refuses to be defined by anybody else and refuses to stop being optimistic. And that really hit a tone with people. And there was a certain rebelliousness to Anne that over 100 years ago really appealed to readers and still does to this day all over the world. So you can write your own stories, but at the same time, you can be a Newfoundland author like Michelle Butler Hallett and write a book set in Russia, Spain, England, and do a really great job of writing a spy novel, a World War II novel, with many fascinating themes that's very modern in its perspective, but is about history and a global history. So we don't have to be limited just because we live in a small place. 
You mentioned that book about the translator of Anne of Green Gables, Hanako Muraoka, and there, there's a, a fascinating article by Evelyn White in this issue about it. It's called uh, Anne's Cradle. Yes. Evelyn is such a great writer, and she had actually approached me asking if she could write something about that book. And I said, oh, yes, that's perfect. <laughs> um, she was really fascinated because she had been to Japan, and as a black woman, she found with a Canadian connection, a lot of people talked about Anne and were interested in her and, and treated her with respect of a kind she had not always experienced as a black writer. So she was quite drawn to the topic for that reason and just did an amazing job summarizing some of the key points of the book without giving everything away and teasing it beautifully and talking about why it's significant uh, at this point and well worth reading. And she makes a great reference at the end to the Queen of Soul. So uh, I always appreciate that. Um, Evelyn's also a big music fan. <laughs> yeah, the Aretha Franklin uh, connection was quite a surprise, but I'll, I'll leave that to people reading the, the latest edition of Atlantic Books today. <laughs> No magazine about new books would be complete without reviews. What were some of the books you assigned to your contributors this time? Always a very tough choice because we only have so much space for reviews and there's so many worthy books. But we ended up reviewing One Who Has Been Here Before, which is a really exciting novel by Becca Babcock that centers around the history of the Goalers, a fictionalized version. But our reviewer was particularly intrigued by that. Um, I remember school kids kind of, this is an awful thing to look back on, but insulting each other with the term goaler, probably not appreciating the, the true gravity of that story, the tragedy of it. So it became such a spectacle, though, in the media. And this is a really sensitive book, though, and a really interesting um, take on the impact of that on one character. Um, and then we've got My Daughter, Retea Parsons by Glenn Canning. This is a really important biography by Glenn of his daughter and a look at both her life and her death. And again, the tragedy that became such a, a media sensation, but was, um, let's not forget, it's about a human human being and her family and about their own story. So a really touching and sad story that he shares and a very personal one. A young woman who, who committed suicide as a result of online harassment. Yes, and ended up having a big impact on how online bullying is policed and policy. And one other I'll mention is um, My Grandmother's Days by Viola Parsons, which is actually a, a re-release. But it's a really nice example of a, a book of what I'm talking about that is a very Nova Scotia story, but it's by a black woman. The stories of African Nova Scotians are being told more now, I think, in recent years with our literature by African Canadians and not just by settler or white Canadians telling their stories. So it's a really important book that uh, was groundbreaking in that way. And it's uh, published by the Delmore Buddy Day Learning Institute. So there's a great review of that and looking at why that's important. Now you also include excerpts from uh, new books in each edition of Atlantic Books Today. Tell us about your uh, latest choices. Again, we um, chose Keeping with the Theme three, I'd say, lengthy excerpts, and we always have little teasers as well, super short snippets just to hopefully entice people. Appetizers. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the three excerpts we did were Constant Nobody by Michelle Butler-Hallett, which I mentioned earlier, and that's kind of a spy novel 
but more sophisticated than some people might think a spy novel would be. And it's set mostly in Russia, a little bit in Spain at the time of the Guernica bombing, just before the Second World War, and in England as well. It's funny because Michelle is a Newfoundlander, and it only just briefly references Newfoundland in the book as a place the Russian and British woman kind of fantasizes, the most remote place they can think of where they'd like to go start a language school. <laughs> so it's an amazing global interconnected story with fantastic characters in such a tense situation she creates where they're stuck in an apartment together um, but the excerpt specifically has to do with Russian fairy tales and they're telling each other Russian fairy tales. It's early in the book so it beautifully sets up the notion of story and one character observes these are Russian fairy tales but it's universal this kind of storytelling and so fits with the theme we're dealing with. And even in that excerpt, there's a really fascinating dance going on between the two people. Yes, and that's only the beginning. It goes so deep, and it's such a kind of twisted, odd, love-hate kind of relationship those two characters develop. It's so good. It's so well done. Well chosen as an excerpt. Thank you. We also have uh, snippets of Amazing Black Canadians. This is a book by Lindsay Ruck. It's aimed for a young, probably a young adult audience uh, or middle grade readers, but everybody should read this book, I think, because it's giving proper respect to so many amazing black Atlanta Canadians who have uh, been so huge in building this region and making it what it is in civil rights movements. They're just unsung heroes that should be sung so much more. So Lindsay has done a, a wonderful book. And at the same time, there's also Us Now, which is a collection of essays edited by the great Newfoundland novelist Lisa Moore, uh, but they are essays and stories from racialized Newfoundlanders, uh, so many of them uh, newcomers to Newfoundland themselves, and about that connection, about coming to a new home, Canada, but more specifically Newfoundland, it's harsh climes, it's unique and interesting culture, and adapting to that culture, getting to know that culture keeping one's own culture and influencing Newfoundland culture by being a newcomer from a different place. So again, they sort of relate to the theme, but they also offer something really interesting themselves. And some of the articles and reviews and excerpts in this latest Atlantic Books Today are also related to the Accessible eBook Initiative. What can you tell us about that? Yes, there's some overlap, and this is a campaign of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick public libraries that's going to be running from June 15th until July 15th. It is a collection of 100 ebooks that will be available with no barriers, meaning they're instantly accessible, instant access, no waiting lines at all. We did this uh, with a sample book, uh, Amy Sverway's Crow, last year, and we got 800 downloads in a week, so it was hugely popular. All these books feature various accessibility features for people with print disabilities, whether it's a visual or a reading disability or what have you. So that can vary in terms of what it is. It might be layout-related or reading aids that are available. The books themselves come from 16 different publishers in the region, and it's a huge variety of books. Things like guidebooks, saltwater classics, a knitting guidebook from Newfoundland, 
the novel Dirty Birds, which was uh, long-listed for Canada Reads this year and is up for a Stephen Leacock humor medal. It's a hugely popular book, also out of Newfoundland. Crow is available, again, by Amy Spurway. The Hush Sisters. Some People's Children, which is shortlisted for a Thomas Riddell Fiction Prize. That's the biggest literary prize in our region, and it's $25,000, so that's creme de la creme. Uh, there's the Ku Klux Klan in Canada, which is a history book about an organization of hate that uh, people don't associate it with Canada, but in the 30s, it was actually, it gained quite a foothold here. Reverse of that is Peace by Chocolate, about the uh, Syrian immigrant family who came to Nova Scotia and started a hugely successful chocolatiering business. Unicorn in the Woods, which is a look at the tech sector in New Brunswick. Before the Parade, which is a look at the history of LGBTQ community and activism in Halifax. So just a huge variety of books available and all with special features to make them accessible, but also accessible to anyone because you can download them instantly or borrow them via the library as ebooks. And again, this is coming up in, in June of 2021. Mm-hmm. Yes, very soon. So the publishing industry never stops adapting. No, and it's, it's a top industry, so you have to be very adaptive. It's the way of the world, fortunately, now is learning to be more accessible and more understanding of diverse perspectives so that you can't just make a product that serves someone like you. You have to think about different kinds of people and their different needs. Well, Chris, thank you very much for joining us today on Book Me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Chris Benjamin is the managing editor of Atlantic Books Today. One-year subscriptions to Atlantic Books today are available for $15 plus HST, of course. The two-year subscription for $25 plus HST earns you a bonus canvas tote bag. Interested? Visit atlanticbooks.ca slash join and use this code. Now, it's very easy to remember, A-B-T for Atlantic Books today. A-B-T. That's atlanticbooks.ca slash join and use the code ABT. If you'd like to comment on today's podcast with Chris, our email address is info at bookmepodcast.ca. We have dozens more conversations for you with people who create books in Atlantic Canada, authors, illustrators, editors, and designers, all on bookmepodcast.ca. Pass the word to fellow readers. If you're on Instagram, we post an alert every time we have a new interview for you. Follow at bookmepodcast. If you're in the Lunenburg County area, you can hear one of our podcasts every evening on the nonprofit radio station CHLU 93.7 FM, just before sign-off around 9 o'clock. BookMe is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and today by the Atlantic Publishers Marketing Association. Our social media maven is Laura Hines. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. Mm-hmm.